Thessalonians chapter 5, verse four, verses 4 through 11. If you'd like to follow along, it can be found in the bulletin on page 6. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that, this, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. And uh, my name is Duke. I'm the other pastor here in this congregation and glad to be able to bring God's word to you from this wonderful passage. Uh, We need God's help, though, to understand what this means, for it to sink into our hearts, our lives. And so let's pause for a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being here And we pray your blessing upon this time, that you would make your words effectual in our hearts, that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would meet us, that you would change us, and not only us individually, but our community, and not only our church community, but our neighborhood and our city and even beyond. So please do this wondrous work and do this all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard Jordan Peele of Key and Peele and Get Out fame has a new movie, and it's called Us. Apparently, it's an allegory, an allegory of the self-destruction of American society, which sounds intriguing, but I don't think I'm watching it. It's a horror film, and, you know, I just can't take it anymore. Not like I used to. But this movie and this whole business of horror flicks got me thinking recently about the strange way we tend to relate to death. The way our culture interacts and engages with death. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. We either pay loads of money to pretend we're not all one day going to die, or we pay loads of money to eat popcorn and watch people pretend to die. What's up with that? Right? In other words, we're either deeply uncomfortable with death, avoid thinking about it at all costs, or we turn death and even the threat of death into entertainment even glamorizing it, which I suppose might be its own form of avoidance too. You see, but all this stands in sharp contrast to the way that the Christian faith 
has talked about death for the last 2,000 years. Not with avoidance and not with glamorizing horror, but with hope because of the promise of heaven after death. And with gratitude because of one particular death, namely the death of Jesus Christ. Today's passage merges both of those themes, the hope of heaven and the death of Jesus. And in fact, it provides a life-changing answer to an all-important question that we're going to explore over the next three weeks from now until Easter. Why did Jesus come to die? And here's today's answer to the question. Jesus died so that we may live together with him in heaven. It comes from verse 10 of today's passage. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Jesus died so that those who trust in him, who breathe their last on earth, will breathe their next in heaven. Jesus died so that he could say to that repentant thief, dine having been crucified next to him, and to say to all those like him who are united to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus died so that the Apostle Paul could say in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, that he could describe death for followers of Christ as departing and being with Christ. And so he could say in 2 Corinthians 5, That death is being away from the body and at home with the Lord. Jesus died so that those who have not died, but are still alive when he returns one day, will join those already in heaven, and together we will see him face to face and live with him forever in glory. Why did Jesus come to die. Jesus died so that we may together live with him in heaven. And that's the point of today. So I'm done. No, you came for more, maybe. That's about it. This is the answer to the question that we're pondering today. But it's important for us to keep on going. Why? Because this is such a life-altering truth. That for those in Christ, that after death, it actually gets better, infinitely better. This is such a daring proposition. It's such a game changer in terms of how you face the threat of death every day and how you live your life every day. That we really want to make sure that this is grounded in rock solid truth and not just wishful thinking, right? And so let's together dig in further. Let's look at the whole passage here. It's one of those closing paragraphs in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, which was a city in the northern Greek area, northern Greece. And I want to start by quickly summarizing five truths that we discover in this paragraph, this passage. Five truths. Number one, Jesus is coming back. 
According to the Bible, after his resurrection, after 33 years on earth, Jesus ascended into heaven, which is where he is physically today. Of course, Jesus is personally present here with us even now, spiritually present by his Holy Spirit. But he's not physically here, but one day he will be again. That's why verse 4 here is referring, that's what it's referring to when it says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you. What's this day? That's a reference to the day of Christ's return. Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. Jesus isn't going to leave our world broken and wounded forever. He's coming back. That's truth number one. Number two, when he comes back, Jesus will bring with him judgment and salvation. Just before our passage in verse 3, Paul said there that on the day of the Lord, destruction will come. You might have noticed verse 9 refers to the wrath of God. The Bible tells us that this is what our sins deserve, the wrath of God. The day of Jesus' return will be a terrible day of judgment for many. But for those who bank their lives on him, it'll be a day of salvation. This is how that works. When Jesus died on the cross, do you know what he did? He suffered God's wrath in our place. In other words, 2,000 years ago, Jesus jumped into your story and suffered our future day of judgment. So that there's sort of a blank space now on that calendar day in your life. Last week, I read about a man who served some time, committed a crime and served his time, and then he walked out a free man, having completed his sentence, 13 years ago. And now, apparently the court is saying that he's got to go back because he owes 16 more months. Listen, God won't do that in his heavenly court to you. So on the, court, uh, on the cross, Jesus was, uh, justice was served. And on the cross, justice was satisfied and God won't ever come back and ask you to serve more time. Because Jesus served it for you. That's why in verse 9, it says this of those who have accepted this gift of Christ. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. By his death in our place, Jesus removed the deadliness of death and instead made death the doorway to heaven. And heaven is what is on Paul's mind here in this passage when he says in verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. And when he says in verse 8, we belong to the day, what is that day? What is that light that he's referring to? It's the eternal day. It's the light of heaven. When Jesus returns, he will bring heaven together with him. But number three, Jesus' return is unpredictable, and yet it should not be a surprise. 
His return is unpredictable, but it should not be a surprise. Verse 4 tells us plainly that this day should not surprise you like a thief. Now listen, when the Bible compares Jesus to a thief in the night, it doesn't mean that Jesus is coming to steal all your junk, right? That's not the point of that language there. Jesus is a thief in this one sense. Nobody knows when he'll arrive. But the point of verse 4 is that his arrival may be unpredictable, and yet it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't catch you off guard. Instead, you should be spiritually ready and watchful for the return of Christ. Verse 6, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Let's be awake. Let's be alert. Let's be watchful for the return of Christ when he will bring heaven to us. But what does that really mean? to be watchful for his return. Does it mean that we're just to gaze out the window, watching the clouds? Oh, there there he is. No, no, that's a bird, right? What does it mean? Well, Paul tells us what it means to be awake and watchful for Christ's return. Number four, until Jesus arrives, even when it's dark outside, live like it's day. Recently, I told the kids that we were going to go swimming the next day. It was later in the day, towards evening, getting ready for bed and telling them about the plans for the next day. told them we were going to hit the pool. Of course, eager for spring to finally arrive, their faces lit up immediately, and they were so excited. And at one point, my son came up to me, and he asked, "Uh, Daddy, I I know you're probably going to say no, which is how he prefaces a lot of things he asks of me, you know. Y'all, y'all need to pray for my parenting or something. So, Daddy, I know you're probably going to say no, but can I wear my swim goggles to bed tonight? I said no. Uh, I almost wanted to say yes just so that I could see those rings around his eyes for a whole week, Right? But you know what my boy was doing? He was asking if he could strap on a piece of tomorrow tonight. He's wanting to live today like he's already in tomorrow's pool. He was doing what our passage is telling us to do. To live with one foot already in that future day. Verse 5, you are all children of light and children of day. Verse 8, we belong to that day. We live in dark days. But you should live like the sun has already risen. So don't be morally and spiritually asleep in a slumber, living in darkness. Rather, let us be awake and sober. Get out of your spiritual pajamas. And get into your jeans, or your pencil skirts, or your khakis, or your yoga pants, or whatever you wear during the day. And what does daytime living look like? Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation. As a helmet, these heavenly qualities live 
like it's tomorrow, even today. And finally and fifthly, we're confident that we belong to this day of heaven because why Jesus died for us. How do we know? How do we know this hope for heaven is not going to disappoint us? Verse 10, he died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, whether we're still alive or already dead when he returns, we may live together with him in heaven. You see, the future of yours is grounded in the past, Jesus's past. I mean, how can I be sure that my future is secure? Jesus died for you. It's looking dark out there. It's looking dark out there, and it's often looking dark even in here. How can I be sure the sun's going to rise? Jesus died. Jesus died and dealt with your sin. Jesus died and satisfied God's justice. Jesus died and paid down your debt. Jesus died and absorbed God's wrath for you and poured out his salvation upon you. Jesus died and defanged death. Jesus died and shared his father with you and gave you a place in his home. Jesus died and earned your right to heaven. And you say, well, that all sounds good. What's so great about heaven? What's so special about living together with Jesus forever? And this is an important question, of course, because Jesus' death is no big deal if heaven isn't the best imaginable deal. So what's the big deal about heaven? Beloved, heaven is a world of love. To use the words of Jonathan Edwards, a flawed man, but a theologian who profoundly wrote about heaven. Yes, heaven is, as you may know, a place of unimaginable perfection. But, you know, oftentimes I think we associate the idea of perfection with something sort of cold or minimal, even sterile. Shiny things that you, you can't touch or expensive things that belong to someone else. But see, according to the Bible, every corner of heaven is saturated with God's presence. And God is love. An infinite fountain of love. A full and overflowing and an inexhaustible fountain of love. An unchangeable and eternal source of love is our God. So heaven is a world of perfect Love, not just perfection, but perfect love. You see, it pulsates with the warmth and the beauty and the affection and the generosity of God. And the most expensive thing in all of heaven, the very face of Jesus, will belong to you. Your first second's glance of the radiance of Jesus is going to forever extinguish every ounce of sin and sorrow from your soul. In heaven, there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more fear, no more shame. And that's just because of one second's glance at the face of Jesus. Can you imagine then what an eternity of gazes upon his face might do? And speaking of what we will see, in heaven our eyes 
who will be immensely superior to what they are now. Which is a much needed thing because the light of heaven will be of an immensely different kind of light from the light of our sun. Seeing colors that we've never seen. Stimulating sensations in our brains and even our souls. And delights that we've never felt. You may have seen this video of a 60-something-year-old man who, after seeing in shades of gray his entire life, because some kind of a vision disorder that he had, seeing him putting on corrective glasses, special lenses that enable him to see color for the very first time in his life. You watch his hands begin to tremble as he looks around, and then you see him reach out in front of himself, almost as if to try to touch the colors that he's seen for the first time. You begin to see the tears begin to stream down his face, and at one point he begins to giggle with childlike delight. Likewise, in heaven, we will see really for the first time. New eyes seeing new light, and we will weep, and we will laugh, and all our seeing will have ultimately God for its object, perceiving as we will what no earthly eye has yet seen of God's magnificent glory. And not only will our seeing be eternally new, so also will our hearing be new. Uh, the, The sounds that we hear, the songs that we hear, as we're enabled to hear thousands of intervals all at the same time, harmonies that we presently can't perceive, and even the sweetness of the very voice of Jesus calling our name. As the Spirit of God pours into our souls through our ears an inexpressible and inconceivable happiness of heart. And speaking of happiness, you better believe that heaven is a world of joy. Surely this joy will be in part from the great reunion that we will enjoy with those in Christ who have previously died. Some of you need this comfort again today, having recently suffered great losses. And surely this joy in heaven will be eternally unleashed as we're finally freed from all that presently handcuffs our souls. The fears, the addictions, the insecurities, Can you imagine it in heaven? No more living always on edge, anxiously wondering who or what might lurk in the shadows, literally or figuratively, who might be a threat to you. No more bracing yourself for the coming microaggressions. No need to compulsively check the locks on the doors. Even natural extroverts who after a traumatic experience as a child, now folded inward in self-protection, will once again be gregarious and socially free as God created them and will recreate them finally to be. Heaven will offer durable security that allows you to exhale, to bask 
in perfect security and perfect vulnerability simultaneously at last. Mixed together perfect joy and security and vulnerability. And what do you get? You better believe that heaven is a world of dancing. The other day I was watching with my kids this clip of The Wiz. 1978 remake of The Wizard of Oz, and we were watching one of the final scenes when the Wicked Witch of the West was finally overthrown, and the enslaved Winkies were finally set free, and a whole ballroom crowded full of people erupts finally in a loud cheer. And having discovered victory, they begin to dance. Dorothy, played by Diana Ross like no other, strutting across the room, raising her hands in triumph, jumping on top of tables and dancing while Scarecrow and Tin Man are breakdancing in the corner over here. And the Winkies twirl about in free abandon. And they're all singing these words that I imagine might be something that we might sing in heaven one day. Everybody's glad because our silent fears and dread is gone. Freedom, you see, has got our hearts singing so joyfully. Just look about. You owe it to yourself to check it out. Can't you feel a brand new day? Can't you feel a brand new day. Listen, in heaven, we're all going to be on top of tables. We're all going to be Diana Ross. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing some of you, some of you who today barely tap your foot when music plays, dancing on top of bar tables on that brand new day. And don't you know this joy that we'll see and experience in heaven, it's not only joy, but it's also ever, forever increasing joy. It'll never run out. Because the source of this joy is not ourselves, but a God who is eternal and infinite. And with each passing moment, we will know more about his character, about his nature. We will see more angles to his manifold glory. We will see more reasons for which we must praise him and delight in him. We will see new angles to his mercies, his glories, his beauty. We will be enthralled with him because we will know him more and more each day. And so our delight will increase increase each moment because you will never get to the bottom of God. Heaven is a world of ever increasing joy. And you'll not want to hoard it just for yourself. You'll want to share it with others because, of course, heaven is a world of love. And so you you will so long that every person around you will experience this joy in even greater measure than you yourself might have. Why? Because the world of love is a world that gives you a heart of untold humility. I mean, you can't even imagine what a life free of pride might finally be like. A life free of ego and self-interest might finally be like in heaven. Love lives and reigns in every heart. And the fountain, the eternal, inexhaustible fountain of God's love flows not only to, but finally through every person there. 
where humility takes our eyes off ourselves and fixes them on the wonder of others, where we'll always be eager to help one another to discover more and more about the character of God, where there won't even be a spirit of competition, a sinful competitive spirit. There won't even be a hint of envy. Can you imagine that? No more envy, only superlative generosity. Speaking of competition, my wife and I joke about how we're so competitive, we have no problem beating our kids in games. We call it education. (laughs) But the other day, the other day I was shooting Nerf hoops with my son in in the basement. And on a rare occasion, I was happy that he beat me. I was so happy because it made me happy to see how happy he was that he beat me. And I know that's just a little taste of what heaven might be like, that you're happy in the happiness of other people. When you have a friend or a loved one who goes around the corner and they say and exclaim, I've seen something new of God that I hadn't seen before. And you know you didn't get to see it yet. Maybe one day you will, but in that moment you're overjoyed for them because you love them. Because you want their joy to be full and you find your joy in their joy. You see, this and eternally more than this is what it means that we will live together with Jesus in heaven. This day for which he died. You see, and what do we do with this picture, this glimpse that we might get from God's word of what heaven might be like? Well, we take for real the exhortation of the apostle where he reminds us, friends, it's nighttime, isn't it? It's nighttime, but you belong to the coming daylight. So get out your pajamas and Put on your jeans and live like it's tomorrow. It's still dark outside, and you know it's still dark inside too. But get your swim goggles on, because we're heading to the pool tomorrow. And that brand new day is coming very soon. So start practicing the humility of heaven. Start dying to the power of envy over your heart. Live in the world of love even now. Fight for eternal joy in God. Celebrate little foretastes of the freedom of heaven and dance. Offer hope to a world drowning in darkness and hopelessness. Live as signs and symbols of the coming future of heaven for those who put their trust in Christ. The darkness that we live in now, that we see around us, is not how it's going to be forever, you know. Death has an expiration date. Poverty has an expiration date. Cancer has an expiration date. Envy has an expiration date. Things are terribly broken now, but the brokenness is temporary because heaven is coming soon. So encourage one another, Paul says in verse 11. Build each other up. Remind each other daily these things are true. 
and they're coming. And encourage those, including some of you here today, who haven't yet tasted of this fountain of God's grace and love. This heaven is something that God has promised you if you would simply put your trust in Christ even today. Encourage one another because it's dark out there and because it's dark in here. But one day, someday, the night is going to turn to light and the dark is going to turn to day. It's already begun In Christ's resurrection, the sun has begun to rise. Don't you see it? Don't you want to? Jesus died so that we can live together with him in heaven. Let's pray. So fill our hearts with this hope and give us grace to live like tomorrow has already come today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.